We're going to be back in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, 1 Peter in chapter 2. And I want to bring a message that's titled, uh, uh, quite an odd uh, title if I'm, if I'm honest. Uh, it's a long title, The Rarity and Great Worth uh, of Standing for Truth. And uh, it may seem a little bit strange. Uh, in reality, guys, the first three um, the first three points today are going to lead up to the final point. So that's how we're building up to, to everything that you're going to hear this morning. I do hope and pray uh, that it's a blessing to you. Uh, the verses will be on the screen. I'm going to ask you to follow along in your Bible this morning uh, for, for multitudes of reasons. Uh, but in First Peter in chapter 2 is where we're going to be. First Peter in chapter 2. And uh, again, we're going to look at verse 1. Uh, as already read this morning. But the Bible says here, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile, hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn beings desiring the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and of precious, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay at Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, and a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And beloved, there's so much con- contained in these nine verses here in Peter's epistle, and obviously we would not be able to, to cover all of them in a single sermon. But the contrast we find within the passage is between Israel and the church. And never confuse the two, never mix them up, never, uh, ever, 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 ever think that the church has replaced Israel. That is a damnable heresy as we studied in 2 Peter chapter 2 about apostates who have never been saved. An apostate is someone who uh, has received the truth, they've uh, they rejected the truth, they ridicule the truth, they eventually uh, seek to replace the truth. That's what an apostate is, but not someone who's born again of the blood of Christ. Uh, they are someone uh, who has denied the faith evermore. And uh, anyone who believes that the church has replaced Israel... Uh, is teaching and holding to a damnable heresy, as Peter says in his second epistle in chapter 2. But nonetheless, guys, we find a contrast between Israel and the church as given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to uh, the apostle Peter. As a matter of fact, verse 6 is a reference to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay at Zion for a foundation of stone, a tribe stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. In verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 2 is a reference to Psalm 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. Okay. And in verse 8 we find it is a reference to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. And he shall be for a sanctuary, 
but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the contrast that we find here with those that rejected the Messiah, which Peter is strictly speaking now of the nation of Israel, they rejected him, and because of that, uh, he has become a stone of offense, a stone of stumbling, if you will. They can't reconcile in their heart or their mind of who, uh, who and what he is. So the statements that Peter is recording, again, as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, they are heart-pounding, to say the least. The fact that verse 8 ends with, whereunto also they were appointed, is not only heartbreaking, but it is a warning to all who refuse to take heed to the Word of God when we know to do right. That's what I want us to understand. When we know to do right. I mean, guys, Israel was taught all their lives of the Messiah. Their entire life, I mean, from I mean, even before they were a nation, they were taught in typology. When they were slaves in Egypt, they were taught that a deliverer is coming. That deliverer, we know, is a physical deliverer of Moses, who delivered them and led them out of Egypt, yes, through the wilderness, into the promised land. But that deliverer was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, don't make a mistake by not getting a hold of types in the Bible, amen. And so he was a type of Jesus Christ, if you will, just as Joseph was a type of Jesus. Israel was taught about the Messiah. They were taught about the one who would come and sit upon the throne of David and rule over the rod of iron. And they were also taught about the one who would come and suffer and die. Yet they willingly forgot him. They turned their backs on the scriptures. They worshipped other gods and became just like the people in whose land they dwell. Now, beloved, I, there is a verse. I want to have you turn. They're not part of the sermon. Go all the way back to the book of Judges. I want you to go to the book of Judges. I think that's where we're going to be. Let's see if I can find this verse real quick. I, I may have jumped ahead of myself and not be able to find it. I may just sidetrack myself with this if I'm not careful. No, there we go. Yeah, go to, go to Judges chapter 10, and I want you to look in verse 14. I want to give you a frightening verse. And I want us to put this into our perspective, our life today, when we choose to put other things in front of God, other things in front of the Lord, other things in front of obeying Him, other things in front of... Of, of our Lord, you, you know, making, hey, I'll get to church when I can make it there, okay, when it's convenient to me, or, or I'll pray when I have time, or I'll read my Bible if I'm not too busy today. I want you to see this verse, verse 14, Judges chapter 10, Israel had turned their back upon uh, the Lord, uh, the Lord had sent the Ammonites in there to oppress Israel, and they come, and, and now they're seeking God, they're asking God, please, you know, deliver us, and he says, go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. That should be a frightening verse for every single one of us in our lives. You say, preacher, that's Old Testament. Uh, that's this, that's that. Guys, oxygen is Old Testament too. So is water, so is food. Okay, just because it's in the, the first 39 books of the Bible doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bath water. Do you understand? There's a principle to learn there. I understand uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I understand where he says, uh, yeah, I never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's always there, and wherever you go, you're taking him with you. 
But my friends, we need to understand today that just as Israel had turned their backs on God, just as they knew about him and said, nope, I don't want anything to do with him, they chose not to stand for the truth. They chose not to have a backbone. They chose not to do right, even though they knew what the right thing was to do. And now, the same one they rejected becomes a stumbling stone for them. The same one they rejected becomes uh, the head of the corner, if you will. He is the chief cornerstone, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes if we are not careful when we begin to serve self so much, when we go and we plead unto God that he may not sometimes say, why don't you go call out to those gods that you were worshiping on Sunday, amen, when you should have been in the house of God. Guys, I know I've harped on this for 20-some-odd years. I saw it in the States when sports begin to come in on Sunday and, and people are missing going to church on Sunday because of, uh, because they're playing baseball and they're playing football and they're doing all these different and it's no different here with rugby and soccer or football and, and other things bottom line is this guys Sunday's the day we is the day the, the first day of the week we come to church on Sunday and whenever your house whenever your church meets throughout the week you should be in that church whether it's Sunday and, and Tuesday or Sunday and Wednesday Sunday and Thursday whatever it may be you should be there amen because I wonder sometimes when we get into those moments of darkness and trials that now we want to come seek after God. Now we want to. We need His help, but yet we were serving rugby on Sunday, or we were serving uh, some type of sport or athleticism, and God may say, "Why don't you go pray unto those gods and see if they'll deliver you?" Now, I don't know if you do it or not, but I can tell you this here this morning: it might be a wake-up call for most of us. Are we so different than Israel? The contrast here in the second chapter of First Peter: Peter has given us this by embracing the Holy Spirit of God. For us to consider our actions, to consider what Israel went through. Do you understand? Uh, Peter's referencing the failures of Israel while it's at the same time exhorting the church of who and what we are. That's what brings us to verse 9. But ye, but changes the other side of the street. The contrast with Israel is in 6, 7, and 8. And it gets into verse 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the first thing that we find this morning as a church, that we are chosen. We are a chosen generation. Now, before you run a tangent and think that we're the chosen frozen or you're the other, 99% of the times the word elect shows up in the Bible, it's speaking to the nation of Israel, Okay. So you, you were not elected to be saved, and your counterpart over here who, who chooses not to accept Jesus Christ, that was not ordained that they should die and go to hell. The Bible tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, amen. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died once, and he died for how many? For all, amen. So don't buy into that heretical teaching. Of, I'm just going to call it Calvinism. Calvinism is the devil's doctrine. If you believe it, then you're following the devil's doctrine. And I know that sounds mean and arrogant today. If you say, well, preacher, you ought to be nice, you can win. Listen, if you're an apostate teaching an apostate thing, I'm going to call you what you are. You're an apostate, amen? Well, you can't build a church like that. I'm not here to build a church. I'm here to preach the truth and feed the flock of God. You understand that? Amen? It's the sheep's job to build the church. You take the truth and we go out to the streets and we win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We share the gospel so the, for, the, for the preserving and the saving of their soul. We live a life that is faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And we praise his name and we praise his God and we praise his word. Amen. That's our duty, do you understand? Without faith, 
But we are a chosen. As a church, we are a chosen generation. But Israel was chosen as well. Look at Deuteronomy 12. Read the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. I love that. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God. The earth also, and with all that is therein, there it is. Only the Lord hath or had a delight in thy fathers to love them and to choose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. There's a chosen element for the nation of Israel. There's a chosen element in the church, not individuals, but as a body of Christ. John in chapter 15 tells us in verses 16 and 19 says, uh, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he, he may give it you. Verse 19 says, If ye were uh, of the world, the world would uh, love his own, but because you are not of the world, uh, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Think about it like this. You and I, when we talk about a chosen generation, okay, we could have been born in any dispensation, any time frame in the history of mankind, couldn't we? Guys, we could have been born during the Roman Empire, all right? We could have been born, born during the Persian Empire. We could have been born during the Egyptian Empire, during the, uh, the Medes and the Medo-Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. I mean, you think about all these different things. We could have been born in any of, during any of those times. Matter of fact, we could have been born during the reign of David. Now, let me ask you a question, given the locale where we live, okay? What do you think we would be doing if you and I were born when Israel was the empire in the world? When David ruled that original land grant, which is 300 miles from Mount Ariat down to the mouth of the Nile, I'm sorry, 200 miles, and then 300 miles across uh, to the river Euphrates, and then from there back again up to Mount area, that whole triangle. When David ruled that reign, what do you suppose the population of what we call now the British Isles, what do you think we would be doing? We would be bowing down to every little thing that moved. The birds, the bees, and the sycamore trees. Yep. And guess what would have happened when our final breath was taken on this earth? Guess what would have happened? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we as Gentiles, also called the Old Testament, heathen, which means other nations, we would have died and gone to hell. But God didn't see for us to be born during that time. Those of us sitting here present this morning, those of us, those that may be watching online or those listening later on, God saw fit for you and I to be born during the age of grace and praise the Lord for it. Therefore, we are a chosen generation, guys. A mystery, guys. The church age was a mystery hidden from the Old Testament prophets. And yet we're given an opportunity for free will to accept the gift of salvation. So thankfully, we were at least born in a time where souls can freely be saved. That's what you were taught. Timing is everything. We were a chosen generation. Secondly, guys, we find that we are connected. This is the beautiful part. We are connected, okay? 
the Bible says here he calls us a royal priesthood, okay? Now Israel made the same, or the Lord made the same promise with Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, he says, And he shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Okay, fine. There it is. Here's that contrast working again. The priest, guys, was the one who went before the Lord on behalf of the people. Souls could not just come to God uh, before the Lord at any time they chose, like we can, can, we can today. In the Old Testament, under the law, everyone needed a mediator. They needed a go-between. That was the high priest in Israel. Once a year, he would go uh, into the Holies of Holies. That's where the, uh, where, where the Holy Spirit dwelt there, where it was the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the Mercy Seat. And he would put his little britches on with his pomegranates and little bells were flopping. And he would go in there, and he would go on behalf of the nation of Israel. He would present the sacrifices on the outside on the brazen altar. He would do all of those. He'd go through all of these things just for our, their sins to be covered. That's what a priest, that's a priest's duty. That's a priest's job. And yet the Bible tells us today, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, man, Christ Jesus. You have the opportunity to pray unto God at any given time that you want to. You don't have to go speak to some man in a box. You don't have to go talk to some man in a dress. You don't have to talk to some man wearing a dog collar. Guys, you can talk to God in your car, in your shower, in your bathtub, in your kitchen, uh, in your prayer closet right here. I mean, you can talk to God in here. Why? Because you were saved and born again in the blood of Christ. And because of that, we have that one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can go to him at any given time that we want to. We are a royal priesthood. We're connected. Not only that, beloved, but we are consecrated. Consecrated. That word, he says here, a holy nation. A holy nation. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 19, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thou shalt, uh, th Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bare you up on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. All right? For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be uh, unto me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So here we go again, the overshadowing term between the nation of Israel and the church. So what does it mean to be a holy nation? Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 tells us, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So what do we see? We see something that is holy. It is something special, all right? It is something that is sanctified. Now, before you start thinking us being sanctified, you know, as a three-step process like the lunatics teach, that's not what it is. Sanctified simply means this. It means set apart. That's all it means. It means, you know, this, if this here has a special purpose, the Lord says, okay, I'm setting this apart. This is over here. And here is everything else in the entire world going on. That's what it means to be a holy nation. That's what it means to be set apart from the world. That's the key. Just as Israel in the Old Testament was a nation set apart from all the other nations, chosen, royal, and holy, the bride of Christ is as well, even, and even more so. Because the bride, guys, was purchased with the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not with the blood of, of bulls and goats. So you may be asking yourself today, what does this have to do with that title that was this long. 
What does it have to do with the, the rarity and great worth of standing for truth? What does it have to do for standing for truth? I've given you the foundation that we're building upon now before we work to close. Again, verse 7 of uh, Deuteronomy, look at what it says there. It says, The Lord did not set his love above you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. Israel was not chosen because of their might. Israel was not chosen because of their strength, their numbers, or their population. As a matter of fact, they were chosen of God because they weren't mighty. They weren't strong. They weren't populated. Read it again. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were fewest of all people. So we ask this why? Why in the world does the Lord do this? He does this so the power of God Almighty could be seen and known throughout the entire world. He wanted the nation of Israel to become a light unto the Gentiles, but they failed. They became inclusive one of another, and they turned their backs on what God simply wanted them to do. Have you ever wondered what it takes to stand? As a matter of fact, we, we stood earlier for songs, did we not? Now, some of you may have stood up and it hurt in certain places. Some of you may have stood up and it didn't hurt in certain places. Uh, I, I stood up and it hurt. When I get out of my car, it hurt. When I get in my car, it hurt. That's just part of it, right? But do you know what it takes for you just to stand? It's actually called a process of orthostasis, right? It's something the body goes through. There are nearly 700 named skeletal muscles in the body, but only 200 of which most people have ever even heard of. And in conjunction with the nervous system, there are over 150 muscles which work simultaneously and continually while it's standing. Just standing. Just for you to do this. Over 150 muscles are working, firing with the nervous system just for you to stand still. And that may sound crazy to you, and it probably should, but there's usually a spiritual application when we see anything in the physical. Most of the muscles that are working uh, today that allow us to stand upright, we never even notice. The largest group of muscles in your entire body is found in your back, most of which you don't even know are doing anything while they're working until they stop and the same is true. The same is true for standing for the truth. Standing for God. Even when most of those around you are not standing or not willing to stand, most people will never notice. They will never notice that you're standing upon truth until you stop. Having a backbone, guys. To stand up right today is a rare jewel in a world of culture. Most will conform. Most will choose to blend in. Beloved, we have been called not to be common. We've been called not to be common in this world that we live in. We are a peculiar people, the Bible says. Again, in verse 9, if you look in our text today, we are a chosen generation, a royal priest, and a holy nation. And then he goes on to say, a peculiar people. Now, the word common is an antonym, or opposite, if you will, of peculiar. 
Now, before you think you need to be a weirdo, that's not what peculiar means. Peculiar means to be rare, just like a rare jewel. Great worth is found in things which are rarities. The more common something is, the less the value. And throughout the history of mankind, God's people has never been the majority, if you will. Noah and his family, he preached for 120 years. Guess how many people got on that boat? Eight. One of them was him. Okay? Abraham was called out of his home and land, his family, just a few in number. Same thing with Isaac. Jacob had 12 children, one of which was sold into slavery at the age of 17, and they were simple shepherds and herdsmen. That's all they were. By the time Moses leads out Egypt, according to, to Clark, it's estimated that the total population during the Exodus was 3,263,000. The entire adult population from 20 years old and upward, save Joshua and Caleb, were forbidden to enter into the land of Canaan, and they would die in the wilderness. And using the same figures that Clark had, over 1,078,000 uh, Israelites, 600,000 men, 400,000 women, 45,000 Levites, 33,000 Levite women, plus adults among the multitude, died in the wilderness wandering over those 40 years overwhelming majority died. In the days of Christ on earth during his three and a half year ministry, he would be in the midst of throngs of people. We heard this last week when we preached in the last message we preached. Multitudes upon multitudes of people would follow him. We read verses like Matthew chapter 4 verse 24 and it says, And his fame went throughout all Syria and they uh, brought unto him all six people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatics and those that had the palsy and he healed them. Matthew chapter 9 verse 31 says, oh, But they, when, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. Mark in chapter 1 verse 28, And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And the Bible even tells us, and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and beyond Jordan. However, just like we saw last week in John chapter 6, we found that many of his disciples, and the Bible says this, John 6, verse 66, and there's no coincidence there, many of his disciples walked no longer with him. Walked no longer. As a matter of fact, Guess what happened? When Jesus Christ found himself arrested on that Tuesday night, and he was stood in the judgment hall, and they were beating him, and they were mocking him out, and pulling his beard out, and doing all these things to him. Only John was with him. Peter was out there warming himself by the fire in the midst of denying him. And when he denied him the third time, the cock crew, their eyes met. He ran out and wept bitterly, and John was stood at the door the whole time. Multitudes upon multitudes of people followed him. But when the preaching got hard, they said, man, who can, who can hear? Who can handle this? And many of them walked no longer. True biblical Christianity has never been the majority. The reality is it is the power and might of the Holy Spirit of God where believers find their strength, not in the Americas. Not in numbers, not in self, not in your, your own abilities, but being a peculiar people, meaning a rarity. In other words, being different and of great worth. And beloved, this is where having a backbone comes in. Someone who will stand upon right 
even though everybody else is going the wrong way. Godly living in the midst of a world which is bent on living for self-satisfaction and, let's face it, seduction and sin of this world. Enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ calls us sheep. Now, we have more sheep than we do people in our country, don't we? They're all over the place. Sheep are lovely. They're pretty. They're cute. They stink. They provide a great, you know, they're good to eat. They make clothing. do all these great and wonderful things. But, beloved, when Jesus Christ says that we're sheep, having not a shepherd, that's not a compliment. Okay? Sheep are dumb. They're dumber than a bag of hammers. What do a sheep, when, when sheep are walking in their flock and led by their shepherd, outside of the front row, where's everybody else's head? Think about it. Let that, let that picture stay in there for just a moment. And they don't think one thing about it, do they? No, they don't. They're not, they're not, they're not smart animals. But they'll follow. My question is, is who are you going to follow? Are you going to be willing to stand on and do that which is right? Now, mind you, I'm not going to bring three years ago up. I'm not going to bring three years ago up when everybody jumped on a bandwagon having not an absolute clue of what they were doing. A certain group of people said, do this. Yeah, I'll do it. No research whatsoever. I'll say this and I'll move on. That was nothing but a test. To see how dumb people are. And it proved out to be we dumber than we look. Okay? What will it take for you as a believer to stand up and do what's right in the world? Oh, but my family does this and our culture does that. And and this is what we do for entertainment. Oh, and we just we just drink this on Christmas and we just have it for New What will it take for you to stand up as a member of the body of Christ and do the right thing? Even though everyone in your family, everyone that names you, has your, your surname, everyone that you know and work with and hang out with, what will it take for you to do the right thing? It's easy to go the way of the majority, isn't it? Sinning's easy to commit. It's difficult to stop, but it's easy to do. It's difficult to stand up for the right thing in today's world, guys. It's difficult to stand up in a society where God has been uh, rejected, where his existence and his creation has been removed, where the name of God is nothing more than blasphemy today and nothing more than a swear word, and where God has an alter ego in the majority of people's minds. People have created their own God in their mind and their heart. Well, God is love. God is love. But he's also just. And he's also jealous. And he's also a consuming fire. Amen. When you create a God of your own and you call him the God of the Bible, you are an idolater. What's it going to take for you to stand? True respect, guys, is granted to those who stand for truth. When someone stands upon truth and they, they conform not, guys, respect is never given to those who conform to the world, not even by those who are conforming themselves. You knew who got the respect back in Esther's day? Nehemiah, not Nehemiah, sorry, Mordecai. You know who stood among every one of those other Israelites throughout the entire province. When the sound sound went off, they bowed down. When Haman came out, they bowed down. One guy, little old short Mordecai. I don't know if he's short. I just picture him as being short. I'm not bowing to a man. Nothing personal against you, Haman, but I'm not going to bow to a man. It's not personal. I just 
You gotta obey my God, bro. Beloved, I'm here to say this to you today. We'll be done. When you set yourself apart to fulfill your people, a holy nation, honoring your royal priesthood for being a chosen nation, others take note. It doesn't mean that you're haughty. It doesn't mean that you're arrogant. It doesn't mean that you're an elitist by any stretch of the imagination. When you stand up for that which is right, when you stand up for truth, you hold to the truth no matter who around you, no matter how dark the environment may be, no matter how vile the choices others have made, the rarity and great worth of a backbone in the world today will make the difference in the lives of others in the world. Paul said this in Philippians 2, and we're finished. He said, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Let me ask you a question. When you get together with your, your friends, are you complaining more than you're complimenting? Is there more negativity than there is positivity? Is there more tearing down than there is lifting up? Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as light in the world. Well, you can't shine as light in this world today if you look just like this, if you act just like this. You can't shine as lights of when the world is murmuring and you're along murmuring with them. Peter did that, didn't he? I know not the man. I tell you, I don't know him. I want to warm myself right by you. Well, Malchus' brother said, hang on, you cut my brother's ear off. I know who you are. You are one of them. I know not the man. Blank, blank, blank. Peter Paul says, holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labor. Brother, I'm just saying this to you today. The rarity and the great word, standing for truth, it may cost you invitation. It may even cost you who you think your friend is. It may cost you a position, a job. It may cost you money. But it'll never cost you Christ. And it'll do more good for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world than anything you can ever imagine. Anything you can ever put forth in the name The rarity and great work of things. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this time. Today I pray that you would lead God and direct us, Lord, in closing thought. I pray, Father, your people would be convicted. Lord, we would stop and cease and putting things in front of you in our life. We would seek not to conform to the ways of this world, but rather, Father, stand out as, a, as an encouragement, Lord, as a, as a light shining in a dark and perverse crooked nation. Let us be that light, Lord, that people may see, that they may be drawn to, so that they may receive the precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, be eternally saved and sealed in the day of redemption. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. I hope and pray the preaching, teaching, the word of God is a blessing in your heart this morning.